Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season three, episode eight. We're coming to you today again from Colorado Springs, home of low humidity and high chapstick sales. <laughs> I'm Terry, and I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, who always prepares to come to Colorado Springs by putting my chapstick in my pocket. So I can't believe you just said that. Vitally, uh, vitally oh, important here in this dry, high air. I never know what to expect from you when you intro these uh, podcasts. I don't want you to know what to expect. <laughs> I know. From that's kind of what makes it fun. But that was one of the least expected ones that I had. That and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, today, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's super Warren Bird. That really is a bird. Warren Bird. Yes, who's it is. Who's joining us. One of our own... Alliance family. That's uh, Caitlin laughing at my jokes. I pay her extra to do that. And now AJ is laughing as well. They're our oh, co-producers. Uh, so, uh, Alan, what's been your connection with uh, Warren Bird over the years? Well, I can't say that I really know him personally. I did meet him briefly, I think, at some training or something, and not that he would ever remember me. But I can't even count how many articles, books, uh, podcasts or anything that I've just been influenced by him and the research. He's always spot on. Yeah. So a researcher and kind of a leadership guru, lots of great connections in the evangelical world, lots of people that he's written books with. Yep. So we're looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have with Warren and believe it's going to be uh, helpful to all of you who are listening today. It is our passion to equip uh, pastors and leaders in our local churches so that you're able to do what you do better so that more people come to know Jesus. And so, without further ado, sit back, relax, pull out your chapstick and use it. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> well, it's our privilege to welcome Warren Bird to the Equipping You podcast. Warren, thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to do it. A delight to be here. I've listened to every issue so far. Maybe not mine, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are a good well, man. You. If there's anybody that's hard to listen to on on a, a podcast or listen to preaching a sermon, it's me. I hate listening to myself, but <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you'll give and, us... And do people tell you you have a face for radio? They do tell me that. Yes. Alan tells me that weekly, so... <laughs> Nonetheless. So, hey, Warren, give us some of your background and how your long-term connection to the Alliance got started. I grew up in a denomination that was always fighting each other, and I was drawn to the Alliance focus on Jesus and on reaching the world for Jesus. I got to be the teaching assistant for the dean of Wheaton College Grad School, Dr. Merrill Tenney, and in his final year uh, before it was in his final year before retirement, and he had strong NIAC connections. In fact, as a child, Dr. Tenney had even heard A.B. Simpson speak, and he wow. told me about it. Wow. He encouraged me to explore the CMA further. But the real turning point for me 
was the non-denominational church that my fiance and I belonged to during our Wheaton years. Uh, we adopted a refugee family and an area church with services in Chinese and Vietnamese led that family to Christ. Wow. Well, what kind of group would have a Vietnamese and Chinese <laughs> church in a Chicago suburb? It was the CMA. Uh, I was impressed, and I decided to learn more. Wow. That's really cool. Well, we're glad to have you in the family. So, man, I've read tons of stuff that you've written and input you've had, but what are some various aspects of ministry that you've been involved in, uh, and what are you focusing on now? Well, let me start personally, because you don't ever want to leave that out. I, I want my neighbors and extended family to know Jesus and spend eternity with him, and with me, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> so my wife and I start Bible studies, open our home. They do other do other things to impact family, neighbors, and friends for Jesus. But you're probably asking about employment. <laughs> and I've been a CMA church planter and assisting pastor. I've taught at Alliance Theological Seminary, most recently the leadership development class in the Doctor of Ministry program there. I've been on assignment to Leadership Network as their research director and now on assignment to ECFA, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, which accredits our denomination, our districts, and many of our larger churches. And along the way, I've had the privilege of co-authoring 31 books wow. for church leaders on topics like multi-site, healthy mergers, pastoral succession, church planting, healthy leadership teams, and more. And each book is kind of a combination of research and practical stories. Hmm. Fantastic. Cool. Warren, as we start to dig deeper into uh, how we can help our pastors and leaders who are listening, how would you exegete the culture of 2019 or 2020 by the time people are hearing this in, in, in the U.S.? And in the midst of that, what do you see as the, the state of the U.S. evangelical church? What, what challenges is the church facing today? Well, sadly, when culture and church bang into each other too often, church, the culture wins. Uh, on the one hand, the U.S. church today is strongly influenced by the gods of consumerism and personal fulfillment. And whatever support we had from the surrounding culture is increasingly departing, which puts the church in too many people's minds on the fringes of society and as irrelevant to much of life. And uh, sadly, too many pastors and congregations have kind of passively accepted this peripheral role, uh, content to lead low expectations, warehouses of underutilized Christ followers. And we don't have the impact that we could. On the other hand, there are quite a lot of people who, like the men of Iskar in Scripture, knew the culture and know how to find that window for the gospel. The culture is always changing. The gospel's never changing. But, but how do we connect the unchanging gospel with the ever-changing culture in a way that that wins a hearing and enables us to share the life-changing news of Jesus. And, and I'm encouraged to see church after church that is finding such a window. Well, that's really neat. I appreciate that. Uh, it is uh, <laughs> becoming increasingly more uh, necessary to think deeply about the culture and how we can intersect with it. So, Well, it, it used to be that, you know— you just had a role. It, people would show up and 
pastors and leaders went through kind of what they had seen others do. And now you have to continually reinvent what does it mean to make disciples in this ever-changing culture. And, and, you know, one joke is that the culture is changing every few years. And so if you go to seminary or anywhere else and learn a model by the time you graduate, if you're <laughs> content to use that model, the culture has changed on you. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. the truth? Isn't that the truth? Oh, my goodness. So you, as well as certainly better than many people, know that uh, evangelical churches on the whole, not just the Alliance, are high percentage, plateaued, declining. What do you see as uh, some of the main causes for that, and what would you suggest it's going to take to to get the church in America on on the whole back on track? I try to read through my Bible each year, and I'm on the home stretch of the Old Testament at the moment, and I've been reminded that God cares that what happens in my heart translates into justice for the poor. And I love the belief of today's millennials and Gen Z that they can make the world a better place and that and their belief that our faith is not only truth, but it works and and it makes the world a better place. And that's great. And and I'm I'm very enthusiastic about God's work through the next generation, unless all of us generations somehow forget about populating heaven. And we somehow lose the courage to challenge people to make a decision for Jesus. And yes, 80% of churches in almost every denomination and non-denomination are plateaued or declining. Now, that doesn't mean bad things are happening. You know, it just means they're not reaching more people than they're losing through death, moving away, or in some cases, uh, dropping away, but but it is possible to transform a church and community by multiplying. I, I love the way exponential maps out Me five too. levels of of response. One is level one is okay. I'm declining. Level two is I'm plateaued. Level three is all right. I'm growing. And and many think well, if we can just you know, end up gaining more people or, or, or dollars in, in the offering or, or baptisms or whatever it is we count, if it's just a little higher this year than last year, then we're winning. But, but actually, we're not. Yeah. That would not win the world to Christ. That would not win my no, community to Christ, nor would it extend the gospel. We have to go, le- exponential calls it not just level three growing and not just level four reproducing where we plant a church or start a campus, and that's a wonderful thing too. But level five, where we are multiplying, it's, it's kind of like, you know, how many seeds are in the apple? Well, I can count that, but how many apples are in this seed? Mm. If we get the DNA right, yes. and Christians everywhere are like reproducing themselves, then the world will be one to Christ. And that's the key to turnaround. A, is seeing models that it can be done and B, having a handle to say, okay, then then what could it look like in our context and how would our people be mobilized uh, to do that? So I guess my point here is, is that models are very powerful things. Hmm. And if we look around at others, it's kind of like holding hands and staying arguing that my sunset is prettier than your sunset, 
<laughs> which may be the case. <laughs> but but maybe God doesn't want the sun to set on all of our churches, but to rise in a in a new chapter, uh, to change the metaphor, uh, and a new era. Yeah, I so appreciate you bringing up the five levels from exponential. It's uh, I think you're right. Most people are just saying, oh, if I can just get our church to growing, we'll be great. But we're not going to gain any traction on a culture that is walking away from Christ without multiplication. So you're speaking my language there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, as we look around us in America, 2020, culture is crazy. It's lost its any, any sense of uh, biblical or traditional morality. And uh, even not just the... Um, Trends are changing, but in many cases, the laws are changing to support those trends. There's a political divisiveness in our country that seems to be growing, and at least in some circles, political opposition to some of the views of the church, and a sense that the church, as I've heard it put, no longer has home field advantage in the U.S., like perhaps we did in the 50s and 60s, and back in the earlier days. So in light of all of that culture, how can a pastor lead their church well in this culture? Can evangelical churches still be effective in this culture? And if so, what does it take? Well, I think if someone from the first century had heard the last few minutes of our discussion and description of the culture, they would have said, oh, you guys still have it easy compared to <laughs> <That's> us. <right. laughs> and, and yet, the Holy, look at what the Holy Spirit did yep. with, with the first century church in how it spread and the contagiousness and the power of the gospel uh, to turn society right side up. So, so a fundamental first step is to believe that God can and wants to use my church, my community, my city to make a difference for Jesus. And and, and to believe not just that, okay, you know, can we have one person come to Christ this year? That'd be wonderful. But, but to believe that, that you know, I, I'm, as I said, I'm just finishing the Old Testament. One of the phrases that jumped out to me is where God is, is saying, is my arm too short? Mm. You know, <laughs> can I not do this? Yep. Uh, and step A is to be convinced that God is up to something, wants to do something, and for that to be contagiously coming out of it. But step two is for the pastor and the leaders not to do it themselves. Ephesians 4, 11, Amen. and 12 is very clear wow. that the work of the Good. pastor, teacher, and, and others is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And what does that really mean does that mean that the pastor is the hired hand to do the ministry? Does that mean? No. You know, what does training look like so that the saints are truly released and legitimized in ministry? And I think we've only begun to touch the surface of what it means to mobilize our people. For me, a life-changing verse has been 2 Timothy 2.2, which if you count the generations in it, I'll, I'll quote it, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses commit to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others also. I might have messed up a word or two there, but, but I'm pretty close. There's like four generations of handoff. And the eye-opener to me was, 
I haven't really won someone to Christ till I'm helping that person win someone else to Christ. I haven't made a leader until I am helping that person make a leader. I haven't planted a church until I'm helping that church plant another church. And that this is, if, if you want more on this, this is in the book Hero Maker that Dave Ferguson and I did yep. uh, on, you know, how do we release the congregation to equip themselves? And if you want a little more perspective, the book I, I did with Carl George on how to break church growth barriers talks about this mentality of how does the pastor and leaders move from being the leader to being the leader maker, from being the shepherd to being the hander out of shepherd's crooks, from being the caregiver to the multiplier of other caregivers. Leadership can get us there, but doing what we're doing just a little bit better or harder or more enthusiastically is probably not going to get us there. Wow. I totally buy into that. Uh, we've got to have equipping leaders. Uh, what are some other traits for uh, pastors to be fruitful as we head into this third decade of the uh, of this century? Today's generation values authenticity off the charts. They don't want to just know what does the Bible say, but how did the Bible translate through me this week. Hey, I've I've had five days or how many days running notice on this passage that we're talking about this morning. Uh, what is it that God spoke to to me, the proclaimer about, and and how did God want to stir my heart and change me? And the more the congregation sees me model and struggle, you know, I'm I'm trying to share Jesus and I utterly blew it. I'm trying to. Uh, be a good dad, and and I messed up, and I need God. The more that we as leaders can walk people in our failings, uh, the more they learn both from what we do well and don't, but the more they see our motives and our heart, and the more contagious that that is. One of my favorite passages in Mark is chapter 3, where it says, Jesus appointed 12 to be with him and to have authority to cast out demons and to teach and all. And, and that's really a two-pronged thing. One is, are we hanging out with Jesus mm-hmm. and, and where he rubs off with us? And second, are we acting on the authority that he wants to give us and that he wants us to give others to boldly, courageously step into the unknown and put ourselves on the line to try to make a difference in this world. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, Warren, you've served as a church consultant. I first met you when you were consulting with a church, and it's been my observations that, that most churches don't seek outside help from a consultant, whether that's somebody they pay to come in or even a district staff member to come in and consult with them. Why should they? What's the value of, uh, of getting outside help? The word disciple means learner, and the day that we think we've got uh, God figured out or or how to do church figure out is the day we're in deep, deep trouble as leaders. And what a consultant does is comes in with fresh eyes and asks tough questions, uncomfortable questions, but often safe questions. And so many districts, I'm part of the Metropolitan District, and we have a great kind of self 
that gives you questions to ask and discuss as a board and causes you to say, you know, we never looked at that benchmark. We never ask about if we could do this. We never thought in these ways. It helps reframe a discussion and guide us back to the basics in some way, but but guide us to have clarity in saying this is is this if this is where we're trying to go, then how are we trying to get there? And are we consistent and have we planned it out and are we focused on it and all those other questions that an outside voice can benefit. So I'm delighted both by the surveys like our district has, but also the the in-your-face opportunities uh, where in a safe way a pastor or a pastor with board can say, you know, talk to us. We're not reaching our community the way we think God might want us to. Ask us some tough questions. Help us. Yeah, so the Metro District has... uh developed this survey called PEAK that we're uh, actually tapping into on a national level and, and uh, going to begin to uh, spread that to uh, other districts and churches. I think you will agree with this, Warren. I think it's important for every church to be regularly evaluating themselves, taking some kind of survey, and perhaps with outside consultation and outside coaching, uh, really focusing on what comes out as a weakness, something they need to work on, really focusing on that, that every church would benefit from that. Uh, What do you think? Absolutely. But it's not just fixing weaknesses. It's identifying strengths and building on those. I remember I was on a church board years ago in one place, and I said, can I take the last, I forget what it was, all the people that came to our church this year and landed there, called it their church, and can I just ask them what door they came through? And it was it was all the vast majority either came from uh, the youth ministry, the women's ministry or a certain children's ministry that we were doing. And I brought that back to the board and I said, well, then shouldn't we like pray for those, throw money at those, put energy in those, make heroes of those. And that was like a foreign concept It's well, we got to work on our weaknesses. Okay, we can do that. But where is God blessing? Have we identified it? And how do we join that? Yeah. So those are always good surveys to take, good conversations to have that really get us focused on continuing to move forward rather than settling back into status quo and eventually plateauing or declining. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Eventually, every church goes through pastoral transitions. It's very valuable for those transitions to go well. What are some key aspects for church pastor transitions to go well, uh, both on the part of the pastor and the lay leaders. In the book that I had the privilege of co-authoring with William Vanderblum and Next, Pastoral Succession That Works, probably the most quoted line is the opening line that every pastor is an interim pastor. And and I can walk (laughs) into any church and say that to to anybody, no matter what you do, you're the head usher, you're you're the leader of this, you are interim. You know, I don't know anything about your context, but I know one day, unless Jesus comes back, you're not going to be leading this thing. And that somebody, have you built the kind of culture where your successor can thrive and and can you even influence who's going to come next after you? So really what the, the succession discussion is part of, a bigger conversation about leadership development. How strong is my bench at every level? And do I, do we have a vision 
for always saying, how am I training, not just who's next, but the people that God is bringing us, how are we platforming them so that they can do greater things than we've done? So to be very practical, the the hardest thing about a pastor and a succession discussion is beginning it. Because see, if the board starts it, it, it comes across, or at least it can, or the board is fearful that it's going to seem disrespectful or we're trying to push you away. And and we're not. We just realize that, you know, there could be a truck out there that, that takes you out or <laughs> God could call you to Yikes. something else. Yeah. Uh, and that, that we would like to plan. And as much as we're allowed within our denominational polity to think, what would we do and how are we training others? But so often for, on the pastor side, the leader side, the number one reason that, well, there, there are two reasons our research found that people don't let go. One is they don't have a dream of what's next. In other words, we love our churches. It's very hard to think of almost, you almost feel disloyal, like dating another girl uh, at the same time, or it feels awkward to begin to dream, God, what is next for me? And how can I begin to cultivate that now? And, And if appropriate, how can I engage the congregation to cultivate that with me? You know, it's it's fascinating. Uh, let's just talk the retirement level. When some people, you know, say, "Oh, pastor, you know, has stepped down and is going to become the missionary champion, or is going to do this ministry or that ministry," and the congregation goes, "Well, we saw that. You know, that was in our pastor's heart for many years, and we we cheered it, we prayed for it, we gave money for it. That's a natural transition, and that can happen if the pastor will allow it." The second issue for many pastors is the finances. And uh, just this week, I talked with a pastor who was in his 30s and said, well, you know, should I think about succession now? And I said, absolutely. And the way it should happen is your board should say, pastor, should God keep you here your entire ministry uh, career? We want you to know that you wouldn't have to worry about retirement because we're going to take care of that. We're going to start it now and work that way. Long range thinking, being willing to identify the elephant in the room, valuing leadership development. And maybe reading the book next, Pastoral Succession That Works. Those can all help begin helpful conversation. I read the book, and I will say it's a, it's a very good book. And I, I agree that uh, pastors and leaders out there should, should read it. Uh, if I could insert another question on that whole issue of pastoral transition. What do you, you, you said every pastor is an interim pastor, and I get that. But we do have some who are truly interim pastors or transitional pastors. Uh, what do you see as the value of that role and perhaps uh, cert- situations in which that kind of pastor should be inserted? That's ideal when you've had a long-term pastor, a much-loved pastor, a crisis uh, departure, some kind of turmoil where you can give stability, continuity, help people heal, help them point back to Jesus. That's a vital wonderful uh, bridge ministry in many, many cases. Totally agree. Thanks for that uh, confirmation. Anything else that you're seeing out there in the world of leadership or culture that's kind of burning in your heart that you would want to share with our pastors and leaders as we wrap up this afternoon? Today is an era where we have more resources available at our fingertips, literally with our smartphones, than at anything else. 
I love the idea of the podcast. Uh, I love, you know, the webinars that we can sit in, most of which are free. The role of ongoing training and being stretched and being enriched and having your team, whether that's a volunteer team, a staff team, whatever it is, learning and growing with you uh, is the easiest that it's ever, ever been. So every pastor has a degree of discretionary time. Every leader does. Make time to grow, to be stretched, to watch other models, because that can grow your faith to come back and say, maybe God wants to do more here than I had previously thought. And if you if you begin looking that way, chances are God will show up that way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so lifelong learners, uh, we never get beyond being stretched and growing. And uh, that's a great reminder this afternoon, Warren. And frankly, you can't take your church to somewhere that you haven't been. So let God take you somewhere and then invite the whole church along. Love it. Love that. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this afternoon, Warren, and uh, appreciate all of the experience and wisdom that oozes out of you <laughs> as you talk about uh, sure. the church and leadership. So we're really glad that you took the time to be a part of the podcast this afternoon. It was an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. God Thank bless you. you. Well, Alan, a lot of great stuff from uh, our interviewee, Warren Bird today. I love that he reminded us that the uh, early church didn't exactly uh, do its ministry in <laughs> perfect didn't. conditions, which is a challenge to us today who uh, tend to sometimes whine about the conditions of the culture around us rather than really having faith in the Lord that he's still building his church. Amen to that. And that he can still use us to make a difference in this culture. What what'd you grasp that, uh, that you're taking home that's really important? My favorite part for sure was the necessity for leaders to be equippers. Yeah. That to me is a game changer if pastors can embrace that. Uh, and if you don't mind, can I just say something about what I think keeps pastors from doing that? I no, would welcome I that, my friend. I can. AJ is shaking his head, and then he's mocking me from the producer's chair. <laughs> I don't know that, but here's what I think. I think that pastors sometimes think that they're bothering people when they ask them to serve. True. And they don't realize that what they're actually doing is giving people a chance to bless up someone else by serving, and they're giving them a chance to grow. So if we could start viewing ourselves as when we ask people to serve and equip them to serve, we're giving them a chance to be a blessing and a chance to grow. That would change our whole viewpoint on equipping. I totally agree with that. In fact, early in my ministry, I was always hesitant to delegate ministry to uh, elders and other leaders in the church because of that reason. Yep. Thought they didn't have time to do it. We bless them when we give them a chance to bless others. Exactly. And I learned that uh, over the years and boy, equipping others and developing leaders and delegating ministry becomes a very exciting thing the the older you get in ministry to be honest so fair enough i'm not quite sure what that means to be old yet but i'll leave that to you to figure well, out you're you're learning you're learning a little more every <laughs> year Alan. So, uh, i think you're probably in denial however no no way nonetheless well People all over America and around the world should be listening to Equipping they are, the Podcast. Actually. They are, So uh, how can they share it? They can share it uh, 
by sharing it on social media. Man, if you have any Facebook posts, uh, Twitter, if you want to share it through texting a friend, uh, just to connect us. You know, I just met somebody today from the Great Lake District who listens to every single episode. Uh, and it's great when we can share it with other people. It makes a big difference. It really does. So uh, please do share it. And uh, we hope you'll join us next time for Equipping You podcast. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.